0: back. Uh, Heather and I, as you know, were out last week preaching a homecoming service. Dr. John always hits a whole run every time he steps up, and boy, he did it this morning in Bible study. He pumped me up to the point where I was about ready to run through the brick wall over here. I just did a tremendous job. Well, you know, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark for some time now. We find our place today in Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 25. And you know it's not my pattern when we have a special day. To go out shopping for a text that will address that special day, but just let the Word of God speak. And it's amazing to me how God's Word always has something, something to say about no matter what situation we find ourselves in life. Not just special days, but whatever the need is in your life, I promise you God's Word will meet it. And almost in passage, that's just the way it is. So we find ourselves here on Mother's Day. Looking at a lady in Mark chapter number 5, so follow along as I read the Bible, beginning in verse number 25 of Mark chapter 5. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments... I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself, the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You know, I don't know what it is about us. It's just human nature, but here's how it works. Most of the time, God has to remove every other option that you have before you get desperate. It seems that if you've got another outlet, if you've got another option, it seems there's something within our nature that's going to cause us to take that rather than trusting Him. It seems that we're going to do what we want to do rather than what His Word says we should do. She had just one move left. And you know, there's something to say for folks who have only one move remaining. There's something to be said for churches that have only one move left. See, there seems to be a trend, at least among some of my friends today in ministry who have been in ministry for 20, 25, and 30 years. Seems that they are recognizing this, and I have several friends who have left rather lucrative and large ministries in the cities, and they're going and assuming leadership in churches that have their back against the wall. It seems that these churches realize that they are dirt in on top of the grave, and they shut the doors. There's something to be said about having one more move. So let's look at this woman today who did just have one more move, and let's consider a model of faith for all of us, not just mothers to follow. What does this passage teach teach us about this model of faith, and what happens when we just have one move, This passage teaches us is that what she heard influenced her behavior. So mark this out. When you have just one move left, that's all you've got. Just one move. Every other option has been taken off the table. When you've got just one move left, then you're in a position to listen. You're willing to hear. You're willing to take counsel from God's word. And you see, that's where she was. She had one move left. And notice what happens. Notice what the scripture says. I love this. The scripture says that in verse number 27, after hearing about Jesus. Man, there's something about hearing Of God's Word and the hearing of God's Word will fuel your service. That's what it's about. You know, when you eat, you're not just eating to stay alive, you're eating to have energy to do something. And boy, that's what God's Word does. It ought to give us energy to get out there and serve Him. God's Word, man, it'll do a lot for you. It'll pump you up. Can I say this? As much as I love to send other good preachers, and I've already said, Dr. John, this morning, maybe me almost want to run through the brick wall with my shirt off. <laughs> I mean, that's just what God's Word does to me. It's like steroids, you know? It's like a uh, spinach to Popeye. But ultimately, the preaching of God's Word is not about how high you jump in here. But it's about how you allow it to influence your life out there. You see, that's my goal. Every Sunday, my goal is not just for us to come and whip it up and have a good time and for folks to slap me on the back of the way on the way the door and say, good sermon, preacher, but my goal is for you to go out of here having been influenced by God's word. And this week, you're going to make decisions in light of his word. You're going to do things as God's word says, not as culture prescribes. We're going to be influenced by God's word. And can I say to you, man, you bless me. Because you are not just hearers of the word, but doers. I was asked just this week, Pastor Richie, what's so appealing to you about serving Grace Church? And without hesitation, I said, it's the hunger for God's word. Hear me, it's torture as a preacher preacher, to, to preach for folks who are not hungry. It is. And you're not only just hungry to hear, but you're hungry to do. And I know that, My heart. I've heard you refer to things like this is nothing more, my problems are nothing more than a platform from which God can display his power. Where are you getting all that stuff from? <laughs> That's good stuff. Okay, where you're getting it, you're getting it from God's Word, and you're letting it influence your life, and you're taking it out there to where to where the Well, here we go. She had just one more move. And hear me, when you have just one move left, you will allow what you hear to influence your behavior. Number next, why is this mother such a model of faith for us to follow? Not only did she allow what she heard to influence her behavior, but what she had infused her with boldness infused her with boldness. Now, the question that you should have here is, well, Pastor Richie, what did she have? If what she had influenced her or infused her with boldness, maybe we ought to have a little bit of that. Well, notice what it was that she had. The Bible tells us in verses 25 through 26 that she had a lingering, desperate condition a lingering, desperate condition. Notice what the Bible says. She had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured much at the hands of many physicians. Can can anybody testify to that? (laughs) Notice, she had spent all that she had and was not helped, but rather grew worse. She had a lingering, desperate condition. And can I say to you, desperation will cause you to be bold. It will. So look at the condition. Let's talk about it for just a little while. What did she have? Why was she so desperate? Well, number one, she was desperate because she was banned. She was banned. And the question you should have is banned for what, Pastor Richie? And the answer is just about everything in life. When you read the ceremonial law found in Leviticus chapter 15, she couldn't even worship God at the temple. She was banned because of her condition. She couldn't interact, she couldn't have personal relationships because anybody she touched, or if anybody touched anything that she had touched, they were rendered ceremonially unclean. So she was banned. Banned. She had no relationships. She had no outlets. She couldn't be involved in public worship. She was banned. She was isolated. So that's a desperate, lingering condition. You know what I mean? Not only was she banned, the Bible indicates that she was also probably buried. That means, moms, she had no children with which to celebrate Mother's Day. Highly likely that she was barren, because a woman in this condition probably had no husband, neither did she have any children. So she was barren. Hey, you know what? had one move left. And friend, listen, because she was banned and barren and broke right this end, she was at rock bottom. At rock bottom. You ever been there? If not, I highly recommend it. <laughs> because until you get rock bottom, you're probably not willing to look up. I, I have heard testimony right here. of folk, matter of fact, I heard it last Sunday right here. A folk who had all of these things in their mind, who lost it all and didn't have another option left except to look up. Jamie, ever been at rock bottom, brother? Mm-hmm. She was at rock bottom. So her condition, her lingering, desperate condition, influenced her with boldness. And because she had this lingering, desperate condition, therefore she was boldly drawn to Christ. Boldly drawn. To Christ. He's all I've got. This is my last move. It's my only hope. And notice how she boldly came. And notice what this story teaches us. I think this story reinforces that bold faith conquers personal insecurities. don't feel like gold. You ever heard that excuse? Have you ever used that excuse? You know, I just don't feel like it today. Friend, whoever gave us the authority to live by our feelings anyway? We don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And that faith ought to be bold faith. But here this woman could have, if anybody could have ever said don't feel like going to church today, she could have said it and probably nobody would have better than I had. Let me tell you what bold faith does. Bold faith conquers feelings. Bold faith conquers excuses. Excuse number one, well, I just don't feel like it. Excuse number two, she could have said, I just don't like crowds. How many times have I heard that? Well, Pastor Richie, I just I go, I go down there with y'all, but I just don't like crowds. Well, I got good the news. There's only a few of us there. come on. Man, I hear that so much. I just I just get nervous in crowds. I just don't like crowds. And look at the crowd that was around Jesus. There were so many people around him that were pressing in on him in the Infinitely beyond what you believe. I said it like this on your outline. Who's, who she touched went infinitely beyond her belief. Isn't that exactly what Ashley Carroll read a little while ago? She came touching him, thinking at best she would get a temporary relief from her affliction. And so she got so much more. She came into the crowd and she just touched his garments thinking that she would be healed physically. And boy, she got so much more. He goes abundantly above, beyond all that we're able to ask or expect. Miss Myra, if he touches you today, and leukemia runs and hides in the most part of the earth, girl, that's just the end of his garment. You haven't seen anything yet. He goes beyond what we believe. And notice, man, I take courage in this. I take comfort in this. Your faith doesn't have to be perfect in order to put you in touch with Him. It doesn't. I mean, her faith was a little bit weak. One it It was a little bit faulty. She was just looking for a physical cure and look what she got. Good news. You don't have to be a theologian before Jesus responds to you. All that takes is a desperate touch of faith. And He responds. But notice all of the stuff that she got here in you know what's cool here is probably the reason she was thinking if I could just touch the hem of his garments, because she knew she was banned. She knew she couldn't touch people, especially important people. This is a this is the up-and-coming star in Judaism. He's curing people, he's casting out demons. I can't risk making him ceremonially unclean. So she learned something that day. They left uncleanliness in the world to back the purity of Jesus down. Amen. As a matter of fact, it goes the other way. Yeah. You bring your sin and your filth and your impurity to Jesus Christ in just one touch, son. The flow of purity from him is so strong, yeah. it little back here your impurity slap out of your body. Yeah. And here she is now, clean. Oh, you don't have to worry about making Jesus unclean. You don't have to worry about infecting him. You touch him and watch what happens. You know... There's something in this story, i just got to confess before I get into this, into this meat here and the last part of this, there's something that's always bothered me. There's a theological issue with this text. And I've tried and tried to resolve this theological issue, and, I, and I've not been able to until just recently. And here's what you can just count on, just mark it down. If you have a question about a certain Community is going to be silent about it. Have you ever noticed that? You've got a question about a text, you've got to teach it and preach it, you read the best commentaries and the highest level of scholarships out there today, and they just gloss over it like it's not even in the text. I think I'm going to write a book one day. The title of it's going to be Tough Text About Which Nobody Said Nothing. Because Mark presents it as if she comes in from behind the crowd, reaches out and touches Jesus, and kind of steals a cure from Him. Did you pick that up? Almost as if He didn't know it. Almost as if there is healing power in the Son of God that goes forth without His explicit consent. Did you read that back? Did you see that in the text? I was with him not long ago, and he was leading a, a group of believers in this Kinovola community. And all began to talk about something that made me uncomfortable. He began to talk about a dream that he had the night before. Now listen, he knows that dreams are off-limit for me in the pulpit. Don't go tell me what you dream. So he's looking right at me and says, I just got to tell you all about a dream. So I'm, I'm immediately on guard. Wait a minute. What are you about, about to interject here? A dream. And then the next thing, we started talking, not only was I theologically uncomfortable, but I was culturally uncomfortable. Because we don't talk about these things publicly. Duval began to laugh when he said this. He said, I had a dream the other night. He said, I dreamed I was down at the river, and one of his, they both said to the church, one of his cousins and his wife comes down to the river while he's dreaming. He's at the river washing his clothes. And all of a sudden, he had a romantic interlude with his cousin's wife. Now I'm to think. Dear God in heaven, if this was a church in the U.S., that would have blown up right into the end of it. <laughs> so I'm extremely uncomfortable with nerves and him talking about a dream that he had about his That, that teaches me that my heart is so corrupt and desperately. So, here's my question. Hey, man, by the way, it's Mother's Day. Let's talk about it in a little while. <laughs> not only am I so inherently sinful that I sin when I'm not consciously aware of it, not only do I sin in my sleep, but I've learned that I sin in my wife's sleep. The <laughs> so y'all Your wife is about to bite a nail in half? <laughs> <laughs> that's quite often with me. I just got to now I look over heaven and said, What I now? My dreams? <laughs> 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 yep, that's me. <laughs> not only do I sin in my dreams, I'm sinning in hers now. <laughs> but look, here's my point. If man is so sinful that we can sin when we're not consciously aware. Is not Jesus Christ so good that good goes out of him when he's not consciously aware of it? Now let me quickly say that I believe that could only happen during his incarnation. I don't think that's happening today with him seated on heaven's mercy seat. I don't think it happened. But in this particular case, he's so good. Still goodness just encapsulates him. And you just get in his presence and you're blessed by his goodness. That's not too far fetched, to is it? Hey, if I write that book, Baker, will you buy a copy? I think we just bought a before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, here we go. Notice let me get back on the trail now. Her bold faith Who she touched went infinitely beyond her belief. Now let me show you just how far beyond her belief he went. Here's how it fleshed out. He went beyond what she asked or could think or could believe because he knows the difference between a casual passing glance in a crowd and a desperate touch of faith. He knows the difference. Stop and think about it. Here he is people pressing in around him. And again, Mark uses a word that's indicative of suffocation. People are stepping on his toes. They're walking on the back of his sandals. They're bumping into him. They're jostling all around. And Jesus stops all of a sudden and says, Who touched me? It seems to be such a preposterous question until his disciples, probably Peter, said, You got." And glance at the crowd as opposed to a desperate touch of faith. And can I say to you that might be why some of our worship, spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, and prayer sometimes are so fruitless. Because really, we're just kind of tipping our religious hat to Jesus. Checking a box. Doing what we know good boys and girls ought to, but our heart's not in it. And there's no response from him. He just keeps walking right along in the crowd. You see, you tell the difference between a passing glance, a tip of the hat, as opposed to a desperate touch. Heard a story one time. This pastor who passed away went to heaven contrary to popular belief. Some of us do make it. This pastor went to heaven. On the first Sunday he was in heaven. The Lord came and said, hey, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He knows the difference in a passing glance as opposed to a desperate touch. makes me ask myself, I wonder how many times he stops when I speak to him. How many times does he recognize when I touch him? Or is it just religious activity tipping my spiritual hat at the Lord of glory and irreverence? My goodness. Well, he went beyond what you believe because he knows the difference between a passing glance and a desperate touch of faith. But notice this. He also refuses to let her slip away without a personal relationship. So he felt somebody touch his clothes. He stopped dead still and said, who touched me? And here's his omniscience: nobody, nobody answers him. And he turns around and he locks eyes. How do you do that? Well, it's pretty easy. He's the all-knowing Lord of glory. There's nothing he doesn't know. So he turns around and locks eyes with this woman. You see what I'm saying? He's not allowing you just to come and be one more person in the crowd who tips our hat at him. He will not let us slip away without establishing a personal relationship if we'll reach out and touch him in desperation. He stops the entire parade. Turns around. Locks eyeballs with this woman. Here's what he did. He made her the focal point. Brother Richie, don't point me out. <laughs> don't call me out. Listen, the best thing we'll have to do, Jesus did that to you. He makes her the focal point. You know what he did? He stopped and he gave her undivided, focus. and all of a sudden it's like nobody's there. I've been in a room worshiping before with 2,500, 3,000 people. Elbow to elbow. And God do something in my heart and all of a sudden it's like I'm the only person in the room. It's just me and God. Can I tell you that's where God wants us to be. When you come to worship grace hear me. if you're inhibited in your worship, you're wondering about what somebody else is thinking of you, you're not in the zone yet. But when it's just you and God, see, ultimately, Dr. John, we have an audience of one, and that's Jesus Christ. And he stopped and made this woman the focal point, unwilling to let her slip away without having a personal relationship with her. Number next, I've got to run on. He knows the difference in a passing glance and a desperate touch of faith. He refuses to let her slip away without a personal relationship and get this. He promoted her from a nameless face in the crowd to daughter of the king. Did you pick that up? You see, I love how this story starts, especially in the old King James. King James says in verse number 25, Now a certain woman, you know how she started out that day? Just a certain woman. Just a nameless nobody. Just a face in the crowd who was banned, who was barren? and who was broke, and who nobody wanted to be in her presence. And so she goes in an instance from being a nameless nobody to being daughter of the king of kings. So that was a little bit of a promotion, was it not? I'm telling you, that was a, a step up. Boy, I'm telling you, if there's anything we need today, in our world of impersonalization, it's just that. Personal relationship where people are known by name and are daughter and son and the king. I mean, I just started thinking about it the other day. Do you know who I am in most arenas in this life? For instance, in the U.S. government, I'm a social security number. Yeah. Nothing personal about that. But I really don't want to be any more personal them. Yeah. I don't be chummy chummy first name basis on that. nonetheless, it's impersonal. I'm a number. To my bank, you know what I am? office. I'm a P.O. box number. I'm a number to most everybody. Son, when it comes to Jesus, I'm a son. That's pretty dang cool. Check it out. I got to run. Finally, she got more than she bargained for, in fact. And he knows the difference between a passing glance and a desperate touch. He refused to let her slip away without a personal relationship. He promoted her from a nameless face to the crown, the daughter of the king, and finally, he plotted her future course of life. Hey, we've been talking about our point B. We? We've been saying that God's preferable future for you is better than what you would even choose for yourself. And notice, he didn't just come in here and give her fire insurance. He was concerned about the rest of her life, her living as a fruitful, productive citizen of the kingdom of God. So look what he says to her. Check this out. In Verse number. Of my life, you know, I think sometimes that the hounds of hell are back there chasing me. But you know what Jesus says is back there following me: goodness and mercy. Sometimes I'm a little bit afraid to face the weak because I don't know what the weak holds, and I think it's the worst rather than the best. You know what Jesus says is in front of me: peace. So believer, here's the deal: you reach out and touch Him out of bold, desperate faith. Goodness and mercy follow you all in the days of your life as you travel into the never ending peace of God that passes all understanding. So, as I wrap this thing up, can I just ask you this question? How many moves you have left on the table? Go ahead and take your arm and clear the table of everything of one move. Let that one move be a desperate touch. Jesus Christ and I promise you He not only has the ability to put stuff behind you grace and mercy to put peace in front of you in Jesus name get to the point of desperation and you won't regret it would you stand with me please Father in heaven thank you for your word thank you for the model that